Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. All right. Um, so if you're new with us, welcome. My name is Brian. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, we are a church seeking to join God as he makes all things new. And uh, we are in a series uh, on the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to Christianity or to church, uh, there's, um, uh, we believe as Christians that God is three persons but one God. It's a mystery, uh, and, and yet uh, it, is, it is real experience for the New Testament church. They didn't just theologically see that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that he was experienced as such, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and so uh, this series we're in, uh, we are studying the Holy Spirit. Um, we want to say, look at a few things. We want to look at the Bible and say, what does the scriptures have to say about the Holy Spirit? Uh, but we don't want to just stop there, as many churches um, do. I would say that you could kind of sum up churches in a few categories in terms of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first is that are, are kind of the, um, the forgotten uh, Holy Spirit. So it's like, we, they believe in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Like, so like the, 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 you could say the Holy Spirit is kind of like a shy member of the Trinity. You don't really talk about that. That's taboo. We don't go there. Um, but yet, we don't see that that's the case with uh, the New Testament church. Uh, you could also say churches that are fearful of the Holy Spirit, uh, churches that are also in a different way. They're just, um, they believe in Him intellectually, but we are very fearful to actually see what would happen um, if we let go of control of our agenda and let the Holy Spirit move. We said last week, I just couldn't get out of this passage. I want to sit here for a little bit longer. Eventually, we're going to get to like the New Testament and some today. But um, we said last week that uh, I remember when I moved here to plant a church, I remember telling my supporters, man, can you imagine what God would do with all the resources and all the skill and all the talent in Chicago for a vision for renewal for our city? And I, and I, and I would say to you this morning, um, like I did last week, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The question is not what could we do with all those talents and all those resources, because I believe that all the talent and all the resources and all the skill is nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the, the opposite, therefore, is also true, that if we had no resources in this place, like if we gathered here and we just started from scratch and said, hey, guys, we're the New Testament church. We're the church. What should we be doing with our lives? What should, how should we gather? What should our gathering look like? What should our mission in life look like, our rhythms? We had no talent, no resources, no, no skill, but we had the Holy Spirit. God could do more in 30 days than he could in 100 years. And so, so there's, there's this reality that we as God's people believe the Spirit is here among us. Now, the, the last category of churches, I would say, is people who are forceful with the Spirit. Um, people who have attempted to be forceful with the Spirit, attempt to, um, out of uh, a, a, an ideology of seeing the Spirit manifested in a certain way that they dictate or they think is, has to happen, that they can be forceful. And a lot of you maybe have been hurt by those kind of church experiences. Um, and you can be hurt by any of these church experiences. But I'll just say this. If you're coming from that background, number one, I'm sorry. Uh, and number two, I would say, like, just because the Holy Spirit was abused um, doesn't mean we don't still press into the reality that the Holy Spirit's real. Um, we teach from Scripture, but yet people teach from Scripture all the time. But we don't go, well, people abuse the Scripture, so we'll just throw out the Scriptures. No, like, we realize that there is a difference between who God is and what man has done. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do is just think about this. I want to, I, I really just want to, this is my heartbeat for us this morning that you would not just know God intellectually, but you would know 
God experientially, that God's Spirit would make, him, make the love of God known to you this morning, that, that God's Spirit would make the love of Jesus known to you this morning. That's my heart and prayer, because I think for most of us, there's a gap between what we know is true about God and what we actually experience to be true about God. Um, there's this gap where many of you would say, I believe God is loving, I believe he's loving, but the fact that I could experience his love, we would say, I don't know about that. Or many of you believe, I believe God is gracious. I believe theologically that Jesus died for me and my brokenness and my rebellion and that he's made me alive and positioned me with Christ and seated me with Christ on high. I know that to be true theologically, but when I, if I would say, do you experience God's grace on a weekly or daily basis? You'd be like, I don't, I don't think I've done that before. And my prayer for us this morning, Missio Dei, is that we would, the Spirit of God would activate God's love for you. That, that God's love, that, that, that's what the Spirit does, is he makes Jesus' love felt and real. Uh, and so this morning, I want us to talk about that gap. Um, now, we have many strategies in the church to close that gap. Um, the first tra- strategy that we try to do is just to, um, to, to try harder. Um, what often this looks like is you hear some preacher guy like me get up and tell a story of, of man, you need to meet with God at 4 a.m. and open up the word and get there and spend two hours with him. And amen and amen. And then you go and do it. And then you le- and you're like miserable. You're the least Christ-like you've ever been in your entire life. Because like even Jesus doesn't want to be around you at that moment. Because he's like, you, you, you're, you're trying to copy someone else's thing. You're trying to copy what someone else said of how they feel led to meet by God, not the way your personality and the way God's wired you to meet with God. And so we try harder. The other thing we do to try to close that gap between what we know and what we experience is is just through um, what I would say is faking it. Uh, We fake it. We come together. We act like we try to manifest or conjure up something from God. We, 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 We know we come to a setting like this, and how are you, brother? How are you, sister? I'm fine. Oh, yes, I'm fine. And if you ever go to a church like that or if this ever becomes like that, just leave. Because if there's no room for the younger brother who's wasted their life in reckless living, then this is no longer a church. And so we are a church that welcomes people on the diverse spectrum of wherever you are in life. You're welcome here. Maybe some of you have come here for the first time. You're welcome here. God's, God welcomes you into his presence. And so uh, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's the other method. We try to fake it. Um, third thing we do is we um, just try to uh, discipline through spiritual disciplines. Now, I love spiritual disciplines. You hear me talk. We did a whole talk on disciplines and the fact that the Spirit works through those disciplines and he works through breakthrough moments and process moments. Um, but just doing disciplines and trying harder with habits will not transform you to experience the love of God. It is only by his spirit. And so I want to just start off where we left off. Um, Exodus 33. I just can't, there's some stuff that we just did not hit that I just feel like we need to hit. And, uh, and, and this is uh, Moses, if you remember last week, he's talking with God, pleading with God, saying, um, God tells him basically, I'm going to give you the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And this is Moses' response. He says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? I want, I want you to catch that. I want you to catch this word pleased. Like, how will any, like, I don't want you to, I want, are you proud of me, God? Do I carry your favor is one other translation. Are you, are you disappointed with me? Do you, do you look at me and are you pleased? I think that's a question most of us are asking. God, are you pleased with me? 
And, and there's, there's moment of insecurity as Moses, as a leader. As a leader myself, there's these moments of confidence, these moments of like, oh my God, I can't do this. What am I doing? I'm weighing over my head and, um, and oscillating between confidence and insecurity all the time. And, and, you know, and, and Moses is in this moment trying to lead his people, and he says, you know what? Like, I'll, I, I need you. Like, I don't care. The question behind will you go with me, there's a question behind that question is are you pleased with me? Do you love me? Are you proud of me? And Moses, uh, uh, God says to Moses, he says, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you. I know you by name. I know you experientially. Knowing by name was not like, hey, there's Moses in the crowd. It was, I know you intimately. Uh, the word know in, in Hebrew is yadah. It's the same word used of Adam and Eve and says that Adam knew Eve and they conceived the child. It's this like sweet, intimate communion with God. He's like, I know you by name. And Moses, <laughs> now, Moses has the audacity to go, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, in the Jewish scriptures, Old Testament, you need to know that glory was synonymous with one's face. Um, whenever you thought, saw a, a verse about glory, it was like synonymous with, the, with face. That, that's the way you, you, you shined your glory. Your face was your character, your attributes, your, your nature. And so he says, I want to see your face, God. Now, now the next verse, the Lord says, well, and it makes more sense in context here when you read the rest. He goes, well, I can't show you my face, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, all my goodness is going to pass before you. I love you so much, Moses. I, I, I would consume you if you saw all of me. I'm so powerful and I'm so loving. I would just consume you. So I can't show you all of my face. But what I'll do is I'll let you see my backside. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to go in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy. And I'll compassion who I'll have compassion. You guys just got that. <laughs> <laughs> but you cannot see my face. Now, later, Moses was known as a person. All throughout the rest of the scriptures, it would say Moses was a guy who met God face to face. That's the way that they would describe God. And so I want to I get to the Holy Spirit. We're going to get there. But what I want to do is I want you to see it through the filter of, of, of knowing God's face. Um, and, and so throughout the scriptures, it would say Moses would be someone that met with God face to face, even though you, no one could see God because of our brokenness and rebellion. But yet, at the same time, God's love was so strong, this became known. It said that Moses would leave from this place, and his face was so radiant from being in God's presence that he had to put a veil over his face. Uh, that, that, he, that there was a veil over Moses' face because of the radiance from this time of meeting with God one-on-one, intimately. Yeah. And so uh, after this, now check this out. All throughout the Old Testament, what is God's people's longings? Like their deep cry is to see God's face. I don't have, I could show you, I don't have time. I could show you like 30 verses, but I'm just going to show you four, three, three verses. Uh, Psalm 4 says this in Psalm 4, David, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord. Like, we want to see your face. Um, are you, you hear the, the same thing now of that glory, that like we want to know you're pleased with us. We want to know we have your presence. We want to know that you are, you are here and you're proud of us. We want to know that you're securing us. We want to know that you are protecting us as advocate, that you are not depriving of us of pain, that you are providing us with a place of abundance. We want to know your face. Psalm 13, when God felt absent, the psalmist said, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you, are you going to, that, that was the longing of the Old Testament. Is like, when are we going to see God's face? When are we going to know him? And then Psalm 27, 8, 9, you have said, seek my face. 
My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do we seek. Hide not your face from me. Other verses will say, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you. We like to Christianize that and put it on a, on a, like a cup at grandma's house, you know. Psalm 42, cute little Bambi deer drinking water. No, that's like panting is like this sense of, of like the deer is about to die. It's laying on the ground about to be dead because it's so in need of water. That's the kind of longing that they had for God. Um, and um, it made me think, uh, just this past couple of weeks ago, we, Ashley and I had a date night. Uh, it was a really late date night. We were going, actually, um, Brit, Brit's, Brit's, uh, there's a, I don't know if it's still going, there's a thing called Folded Map that one of our congregants are, is a part of and helped write, and we were out late, and it was awesome. Um, look up Folded Map. Uh, and so um, there was this, th- we came home probably around midnight, um, and we get there, and, and, and we hear Jude crying. He's like crying in the other room. The baby, he wasn't by himself, guys. Don't send us into DCFS. He, there was a babysitter. There was a babysitter, uh, and they were asleep and just couldn't hear him. And, and we get there, and, he, and we see him, and he's just like shaking. Sorry, it's emotional. He's just like, as a father, just seeing my little son shaking, crying, like, where are you? Where are you? I don't, we don't know how long he was awake. We don't know if he was awake for like 15 minutes or if he was awake for like an hour. It felt like he had to be awake for an hour because he was just in shaking. I was like, that, he's like, he just wants to see our face. It's that kind of thing that the people of God wanted. Like, do you want God that bad? That that security of God and that presence of God and that face of God. Like when we, as a child, the way a child would feel, feels love is through the parent's face. They say that chi- a child will look at a mother's face more than any other face throughout hours of breastfeeding and just like just looking at the face, studying the face. And you know the way we communicate our love to a child, you know, is not through our words, it's through our face. You can say whatever you want to a child, right, and have a smiling face, and they'll be like, yeah, you're like, you stink, you just, you just left me a big diaper, yeah, yeah, you're a little punk, you. And they'll be like, uh-huh, because they see the love through the face, right? And so you can, it doesn't matter what you're saying. I don't know if you guys have done that experiment. It's really fun. Um, but, but the kid experienced the love through the face, right? And so the, the face is this moment where we, we experience God. Now, the person who was longing for God the way my son Jude was longing for our presence was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who went into the wilderness Silence and solitude, longing for God's presence, waiting for him to come, the promise that there would be a Messiah who would come and make himself known. And this is what John, uh, the, another John wrote about Jesus in John 1. says this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwells tabernacle where Moses, right, was meeting with God. It said we have seen his glory. Well, did we see that word before? Yeah, we've seen. Okay, so this is the face of God. Uh, we've seen his glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. No shadow of doubt John was thinking about this passage, guys. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But no one has ever seen God. Remember verse 20? No one's ever seen God's face. But the one and only son who is himself God is in the closest relationship with the father has made him known. The point is that Jesus, that word made him known in the Greek is the word exegete, that Jesus exegetes God. That's what, uh, when you, I, I went three years to seminary to say this, guys, so you got to listen up. Um, exegete is this word that when you study the scripture, you don't try to put meaning into the text, you get the meaning out of the text. 
And it's saying that Jesus is the exegete of God. He is the explanation of God. He is the very face of God. And so this is the Jesus. So now when John the Baptist sees Jesus in Luke 3 and all the other Gospels, what happens? He says that, that, that he was baptized in the Jordan and that the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on a dove. Go back to listen to week one where we saw that the dove was this representation of the Spirit in the Old Testament. And look, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. Remember, Moses, I'm well pleased with you. That Jesus came and, and John goes, oh my gosh, I've been longing to see the face. I've been longing to know that you're pleased with us. Just like Moses, and here is his son, the very face of God. Now, I want to do an experiment. I want every one of you to stare at your neighbor on your left for four minutes in the eyes, for four minutes in the eyes. We're just going to stare right in their eyes for four minutes nonstop. Ready? Go. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Some of you are like, oh, gosh, why did I come here this morning? Um, a couple of different, two people in the room probably felt a couple of different things. One person in this room was probably like, bring it on. I know the person on my left. They're gorgeous. Can't wait for them to look at me. Maybe, they'll, maybe we'll talk after service. Just bring it on. I'm bringing my A game. Come on. Let's do this. The other part of you, 80% of you were like, I get me out of here. Like, panic, anxiety. Who felt a little anxiety happening in the moment? A couple of you. Okay. So this moment, why is that? Why is it that that, that idea of looking someone dead in the eyes um, is so scary? It's because it's so intimate. So intimate to look into the eyes of another person. So intimate that we, we're probably, there's this anxiety of like, will they notice my complexion? Will they, if they stare at me that long, are they going to notice the wrinkles on my face? Are they going to notice the, the imperfections on me? They're going to notice that thing, that mole, that, 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 that acne or that thing. And they're going to they're gonna notice it if they stare at me. I just feel so uncomfortable. Why is that? I think deep down for most of us, the real issue is we're fearful of being judged. We're, we, that we walk around this life just fearful of being judged. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a video, of, um, you know, you've probably seen several of these refugee-type experiment videos, but there's one of Amnesty put on in England. Where these ref, they, they took English uh, people from Poland and other English country, uh, European countries, and, and they s- just had, had to do this experiment for four minutes and stare a refugee in the eye for four minutes. I mean, it's just incredible. Our, our PowerPoint messed up, so I was going to show it to you. But um, there's this moment where they just like they just start weeping, they just start la- they just start laughing, they laugh, they hug afterwards. These people are completely different. Why? Because when you stare at someone in the face and you see the exper- I- I- the intimacy, all judgment goes away, because you realize this is another person. Now, I wanted you to think about this. So now Jesus is the. We're going to get to the Holy Spirit. Remember, but now Jesus is the face of God. Right now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about, so I just want to highlight a couple of stories of people that look Jesus like right in the face. Um, one comes out of John 8, John 8, 1 through 10. It's in several manuscripts of the New Testament. That's neither here nor there, a whole other sermon. But basically, it's in this story. Most scholars believe it happened, but it wasn't in some of the originals anyway. Just want to tell you that. But John 8 is a story of this woman who's caught in adultery. And it says that she's caught in the act of adultery in some translations. So we don't know if this is like right here in the immediate. And she's thrown into the worshiping environment of the religious leaders of the Pharisees. And they're trying to trap Jesus and trying to trap Jesus of what he'll say. 
And so she's, she's there, and maybe she's, she's unclothed, we don't know, and she's, she's lying there, about to, about, to, they're about to be judged, about to be, they're looking to stone her, because the law says that if someone's caught in adultery, they should stone her, which we don't even see a story of the guy in the picture, which we see something's terribly wrong. Um, and, and so they try to trap Jesus and say, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus begins to write something in the sand. We don't know what he writes. We're not sure. A lot of different speculations. But then she, she, he, he looks at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks, her, her, she's there. She's, she's, she, her hair is probably matted to her brow from, from, from the sweat and the tears. and um, just, She's just there weeping. And he says, woman, where's your accusers? And he looks at all the other people and he says, you who has sin, you who is without sin, you throw the first pitch. And they're like, oh, I didn't read that in the Torah. And all of a sudden, she hears boom, 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 boom. This redemptive thud of rocks hitting the ground. No one condemning her. And she looks up at the face of Jesus and he says, go and live a life free. Go and sin no more. You're free. People, when you see Jesus' face, what he does is he gives you, what I want to, I want to do three things, um, intimate Intimate um, face of God. I want to talk, sorry, I forgot to say this. Two, I want to talk about how the, whole, the Holy Spirit experience, which first I want to see how Jesus experiences it. The Holy Spirit experiences is the intimate face of God. Second, the Holy Spirit experience is an unadulterated love of God. The Holy Spirit keeps you in the unadulterated love of God. He keeps you in the love of God. That's the goal of the Spirit. The goal of the Spirit is is to keep you there. And if you aren't there, what's going to happen is you're going to live a life on a treadmill, live a life constantly trying to prove yourself. Are you pleased with me? World, are you pleased with me? Missio Dei as a pastor, are you pleased with me? I'd be living under that constant pressure without the unadulterated love of God. And and for us, when we are looking at, uh, when we are getting in our theological debates of whether uh, of the Holy Spirit, and, and instead of seeing that every man, woman, and child who believes in the name of Jesus as Lord has the Spirit, when we do that, we've left the Spirit. When, we've, when we begin to have envy or jealousy or strife or disunity, we've left the Spirit. When we've done these things, when we forget that the whole point is love, we've left the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, what he does is he makes Jesus known. I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself, but Jesus sit here and he sits here and he looks at her face and reveals the non-condemning love of God. And so when we are doing ministry, when we're praying for others, when we're engaging with whether words of knowledge or prophetic words or healing or those things, getting into people's lives, the whole point is to reveal the non-condemning love of God. That is the point of God's spirit. That's what it looks like. And so uh, we, we, we are kept in this love through uh, this amazing, amazing person of Jesus. Now, you saw that I kind of left, let, leaped over to the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me go there. That, that Jesus says, we don't have time, but in John 5, he says, I, the Father is revealed through me. Everything the Father has, he gives to me. And then in John 14, 15, 16, he's going to say, now I'm going to send you another helper. And everything that I have, I give to the Spirit, and he's going to give it to you. 
Um, and now that word, another helper, he calls him another helper, another counselor, or comforter. The word another in Greek, there's two words in Greek, and just get technical for you. There's one word for another that is another of a different kind, and there's another word that's another of the same kind. And when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper, he says, I'm go- not another of a different kind, he uses another of the same kind. He says, I'm going to give you another one of me. So the, when you think of the Holy Spirit, just think of portable Jesus. He's just like, here's Jesus. <laughs> Right here, portable Jesus, that, that, that's what the Spirit does, is he makes, he applies the love of Jesus to your life. That's what he does. So basically, everything that a Spirit-filled person is basically looks at the life of Jesus and applies all of that to themselves and does the work of the ministry of Jesus through the Spirit. So basically, all the Spirit does is says, like, you have Jesus. Jesus said, it's better for me to go away so that I could bring the helper to you, so I could send the Spirit to you. That the Spirit living inside of you is better than Jesus living physically right here with you. And then Jesus has the audacity to say this. He goes, you're, because of the Spirit, in John 16, he says, you're going to do greater works than I did. So now, theologians differ on what that means. Greater works as in quality or greater works as in quantity. Um, okay, let's say it's quality. Jesus just got finished raising the dead. I don't know how I'm going to one-up raising the dead. I don't know about you, but I, I got like, I can put some smoke coming out of the screen. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to one-up raising the dead. Um, so we don't know what it means. Um, quantity definitely makes sense. There's, because Jesus is gone, there's going to be greater works and a greater quantity and continue the same works, but just in a magnified form. Um, but what we all agree on this, greater doesn't mean lesser. Again, I went to seminary, people. (laughs) Three years. Greater doesn't mean lesser. That we are meant to do greater works. We are meant to do greater works through the Spirit. Now, if we go and try to do that first without experiencing the love of God through the Spirit, then we are going to be burned out. We are going to do it wrong. We're going to leave that. The whole point is that we would sit in the love of the Spirit. Now, 2 Corinthians says this. Chapter 3, he's He's talking about Moses and that veil, right? Remember that? And he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face um, that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened for this day. When they read the Old Testament, the same veil remains unlifted because through Christ is taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. In other words, like, his glory fades and goes out. It, Moses was radiant, but then it would fade, and he'd go meet with God and radiant and fade. And he, goes, he says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. We behold the face of God. Do you see it? And are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so if you are living in a sense of feeling condemned, a sense of looking at this world and want to know, are you pleased with me? A sense of not feeling secure. Jesus looks at you. The Spirit represents the face of Jesus. And you can experience him and see that you are loved. You have the unadulterated, pure love of God. You have it. You can experience it here and now. Amen? And this is promised. And so I just pray that what I think the Spirit does is he, just, he quiets our soul and pushes us where we had not intended to go and surprises us in ways where you're like, I don't know what came over me. 
Um, I, I found myself doing that. One example recently was um, we started this prayer thing uh, downtown at lunch at the, the Caris Pregnancy Center, um, which counsels women during pregnancy. And we just was like, they had a space. And they're like, yeah, you can come and use it. And we just had a lunchtime prayer every Wednesday. We just host 12 o'clock lunch. Whoever wants to come. And there was this girl, and, and we began to pray. And it just sensed like this strong feeling. Now, I don't always get you know, strong feelings that sometimes I do, but I just was like, God told me like, this woman has gone through a loss and you, I want you to pray that God would restore. And so I did. I was like, man, I got I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is a spirit or me, but I sense that you've gone through a great loss recently um, and that God is about to restore what the locusts have eaten. Now, prayed that prayer over. I don't know what happens. Now, just last uh, two weeks ago, I run into her. I run into her and he goes, oh, hey, pastor, guess what? Uh, and I don't even remember this happening. Uh, now at this point. It's been like, it's been nine months. She goes, oh, by the way, you prayed that I had experienced this loss and that, I, that God was going to restore something to me and give what the locust has eaten. She says, what you didn't know is we just had a miscarriage and the week after you prayed that, we found out we were pregnant. God is good. So God does things and when we, we begin to listen to him and take risk and faith that, that God is, is, makes his love known for us, but we've got to step out. We've got to know that God hasn't fated us to grind it out another 30 or 40 years unchanged. God hasn't grind, fated us with that. He's fated us to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And another thing this is of transformation is just a sense of holiness. If you want the presence of the Spirit, we've got to pursue holiness. Young Christians, generation, we've stopped talking about the fact of, of what the Holy Spirit does. We, it's not falling down on the ground and having some experience. It's becoming like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes you like Jesus. He makes you Christ-like. He makes you like him. He looks like him. We're going to get into that with, with, with Stephen. Um, that's where I want to get to next. So um, the last thing, I'm, I'm kind of moving all over, but um, the last thing, when the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit, Spirit is experienced, it is faith unshakable. Um, so whenever we are, the, the, the greatest example we have of someone spirit-filled in the entire Bible is Stephen. Stephen, the, 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 the Pentecost, which I love, it's got 10 verses, Life of Stephen, two chapters. And it says that he was full of the Spirit. And this is what I love about Stephen. He was just like on the widow committee. He was on the committee to take care of widows and, and, and um, elderly. He was just like an ordinary dude. He wasn't like me. That's what I love about Stephen. He wasn't like some guy that's, that's like, you know, on staff at a church. He was just an ordinary guy. And it says that he was filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And Stephen does that. And he has this opportunity where he has a sense to confront the religious leaders, and he tells them two things. And uh, he says, you've resisted the Holy Spirit and you've resisted Jesus. He preaches the longest sermon ever recorded in the New Testament. Go read it sometime. And then at the end of the sermon, this is what happens. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Does this sound familiar? Saw the glory of God. Saw the face of God. Amazing last person to see the face of God in this sermon today. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I saw the heavens open, and the Son of Man came standing at the right hand of God. Now, does that sound familiar? When was the last time we saw the heavens opened? Jesus' baptism. The life of Stephen is spirit-filled, and he does basically, he's the closest picture to a Christ follower imitating Jesus. And he's about to die just the way Jesus did, and he's going to die full of forgiveness and love. And in the, in the, when we are spirit-filled, we have a faith unshakable that we can take a risk and step out in faith no matter what may come our way, even martyrdom like Stephen. I know it's scary, but it's true. 
And so what I want you to see is one thing real quick. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, saw the face of God, and then he saw it says this, this one thing you won't catch, but uh, unless you read it slowly. It says, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Do you know this is the only passage in the entire New Testament that we see Jesus standing? All the other passages say that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. This is the only passage we see, see Jesus standing. Why is that? Commentaries uh, disagree. Um, a lot of different opinions, um, but I think this. I imagine that as Stephen is about to be stoned to death for his faith, he's, ha- he's, he's like, man, I'm going to do this. And he sees a vision of Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, are you proud of me? Am I doing this right? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do? And I think he sees Jesus, a vision of Jesus, stand up. Stand up on his behalf. And welcomes him. He says, come in. You're doing it right. I'm so proud of you, Stephen. I'm so proud of you. Just come. It's the last thing Stephen sees. And then it says that they cried out all the louder with a voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed at him. Next slide. And it says, and then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, who later became Paul. So this is the whole re- if without Stephen, we would not have Christianity today as we know it, I don't think. Without the filling of the spirit of Stephen laying down his life, we would not have, because Saul saw what happened, and Saul recorded this and went and told Luke about this story and wrote about it. And as they were stoning Stephen, what did he do? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Where have we heard that before? Jesus Christ on the cross. He's saying the exact same thing. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not... Uh, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and breathed his last. Right. Stephen looks just like Jesus. And the thing Stephen does is, is he sees the face of God. He sees that God is pleased with him. And when you are radically loved, you are radically free. When you are radically loved and you experience that love through the, the love of Jesus, through the Spirit, you are radically free. You don't need any other gold or silver or accolades or that of boys or raises or promotions when you are radically loved by god you are free to live a life of renewal because one day you will see his face one day you will see his face in eternity i'll close with this last story um there's a band you guys can come up bob and um there's some of these, there's some movies where just like uh, movie scenes that just like impact you, um, do like a, a work <laughs> on you, a number on you. And, and one of those scenes, it's an old movie. Um, so sorry if I spoil this, but this is a this is a really old movie, so you should know it. But um, Six Six Sense. Um, I think I mentioned this another Six Sense scene before, so obviously I like it. But there's this one scene where this this mother, who's she's a single mom. She's had a really rough life. She's, her, mom, her mom died at a young age, and um, <clears throat> she, she died at a young age, and she, uh, she's come to grips with the fact that her son can see the spirit world and interact with the spirit world. And, and the son looks at her and, and says, um, you know, your grandmother saw you at your recital when you were a kid. You thought she left you, but she didn't. She was staying in the back the whole time. She goes, what? She says, yeah. She, he, this kid says, um, yeah, Grandma also told me that you, you one time came to the graveside and asked her a question. Is that true? And she goes, yes. 
kid says, well, Grandma wanted you to know that the answer to that question is yes every single day. And he says, he says Mom, what was the question? He doesn't know the line, and, and if you do, and, and the mom looks at the son, she says, I simply just asked her, have you ever been proud of me? Have you ever been proud of me? I want to tell you that through the blood, because of Jesus in Christ, God looks at you and says, you are my beloved son and daughter. I'm well pleased with you. I'm well pleased with you. You are righteous in his sight. You are loved. I think most of us probably have looked to some authority figure in our life, to that, that same longing. Mom, dad, are you proud of me? Look to your work. Are you proud of me? Look to your peers, your spiritual community even. Are you proud of me? And the answer that God says is yes every single day because Jesus is with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he sees you, he sees Jesus' righteousness, his purity standing on your behalf, proud of you, advocating for you, loving you.